0: A very warm welcome to uh, the Coliseum this evening. I'm Christopher Cook and I'll be looking after this evening's event. Uh, usual house notices, please make certain that you've turned off your phones. Uh, anything else that might whistle, sing, or dance in your pockets. And may I remind you that you may not record or indeed take photographs, though we're recording and we shall indeed have this up on the website for you to listen to again if you would like to. None of Mozart's operas better illustrates more clearly how differently we think about his works for the theater than Cosi Fan For our great-grandparents, it was an immoral and cynical tale that taught us lessons that were perhaps best left unsaid. And for feminists, it's always been a work of deep misogyny in which men do not so much tease as emotionally torture women to prove their superiority. And it's true that Lorenzo da Ponte's libretto reads, unwarmed, that is by Mozart's music, as a pretty unpleasant piece of writing. But we need to remember that it belongs to an 18th-century literary tradition of stories that debated the issues of emotional and sexual fidelity between men and women. Here, of course, the conclusion to the debate, though, is a foregone conclusion. That is, until you listen to Mozart's music. Don Alfonso may win his wager with Ferrando and Guglielmo, that, in, that their fiances, Dorabella and Fiordeligi, will surrender to male temptation when a pair of handsome, swarthy strangers come knocking on their door. But the moral victory, that surely belongs to the two sisters, who are human and humane, dignified and decent, and in the case of Fiordeligi, willing to run away to war disguised as a soldier to preserve her honor. Dare one said, it, but it's the women who are wise and understanding, as always in Mozart's operas to the extent that he transforms da Pontes di de Bretto into something entirely of his own. Just as tonight, Felin McDermott transforms 18th century Naples into a seaside resort with all the fun of the fair. And so Don Alfonso becomes a kind of boardwalk huckster with a gang of funfair outsiders to do his bidding. Look out for the bearded lady and the strong man. And there are a pair of pretty nifty small people doing his bidding too. As for the historical record, the first performance of Mozart's opera took place at the Burgtheater in Vienna on January the 26th, 1790. It was given only five times before the run was stopped by the death of the Emperor Joseph II and the resulting period of court mourning. It was performed twice in June 1790 with the composer conducting the second performance and again in July twice and August once. Well, we have a trio of guests tonight to explore Mozart's Cosi Fan tutte. We're going to be joined in a while by the mezzo-soprano, Anna Huntley, who's covering the role of Dora Bella, and by the theatre historian, Sarah Lenton. But first, we have Ryan Wigglesworth, who conducts tonight's performance, and who is, of course, English National Opera's composer-in-residence. Is there something different about the instrumentation? the opera, say, from Figaro uh, or, indeed, Don Giovanni, the other two da Ponte operas?
1: Well, Giovanni is, is bigger boned. Um, Cosi is remarkable for I- its use of colours and the way he employs his instruments as, as characters. He's almost like a chess player, so he'll hold back the oboes for a couple of numbers and introduce them later on. Sometimes he uses the trumpets like a pair of horns as a pedal in the middle, which is very unusual. He does that in, in the overture, in fact. And the, actually, the overture is a very good example of... It's, it, you'll hear the, the sequence come round over and over and over again. It's like an abstract problem. It's like a game of cards. And each hand is slightly different in its instrumentation. And, it, and it's, it's, it's sort of the opera in miniature, the overture. It, 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 it dawned on me um that what happens if this pair of instruments do that what happens if this in pair of instruments pair up you know
0: It's it's, really interesting that they're paired because, of course, in a sense, you could argue this whole opera is all about pairing Mm. um, thematically. um, uh, The right pairs finding each other at the end, the wrong pairs playing around in the middle, and the the really puzzling pair, which, of course, is Despina and Don Alfonso. So the music is actually, in a way, structurally mirroring precisely what the piece is about.
1: Well, I think the Overture does, and and I'm pretty sure that would have been composed very late on in the process. Um, I mean, it was a very messy process in general, writing this opera. I mean, we have, we think now that these things are just sort of dictated and, or phoned in from, from above. And it's anything but. I mean, it's, it was a very messy business, um, nailing down um, who was gonna sing what at the premiere. Uh, I think the guy who eventually sang Guillermo was originally the Alfonso. Um, and I think, believe, took Alfonso's aria with him, which is why Alfonso doesn't actually have an aria in, in this opera. You know, so it's a very messy business, and he didn't, he couldn't decide whether that Dorabella or Fiordiligi was the, who, who was the higher part. Originally, Dorabella was going to be the higher part. You know, so it's messy, messy, and things that were intended for Act Two ended up in Act One. You know, so it's, it's not, it's not the case that these things are simply given to us perfect. <laughs> you know, it's...
0: When, I, when I asked about instrumentation, I was thinking about Mozart's wonderful joy when he arrives in Vienna and starts his career as a freelance um, composer in discovering clarinets and and, and, and the, the whole family of clarinets and the, the sheer way in which he incorporates them in just about everything he writes from then on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, it, and it's actually, again, it's to do with characterization that the clarinets have a very, very different character to oboes and flutes. And that they are, as I said before, and as in the piano concerti, characters in a drama. They really are.
0: How does how does Mozart characterize the four lovers? Can you hear them?
1: Yes, but it's a it's a it's a journey. Um I mean the if you're looking at the arias alone, actually you might say that Guglielmo has in a sense the least far to travel. I mean his two arias are in the same key. Um okay, the the, the first one is, is 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 rather short and quite lyrical and Don in the second act is 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 a more fizzy affair. But it's nothing like the journey that Ferrando takes um in in his from Una Aura in the first act, his his glowing lyrical A major aria. Tradito in the second act, which is which is um, well, it falls into two halves there's a there's a, um, a very strange sort of C minor introduction um, full of stops and starts um, and that's a big big journey for the singer to to, to get from unara to, to tradito in the, sec, in, the, in the second act um, and all these journeys of the of the main characters are are very different. Um,
0: is it obvious, for example, that fiordeligi is the more serious of the two sisters? I mean, when we listen to Comiscolio or, or indeed uh, Pietà. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, this is another way because Comiscolio, which is fiordeligi's first act aria, um, like I was saying, I think was originally intended for the second act, which which. For me, has always created a slight difficulty because Commiscolio, like a rock, she plants herself firmly quite early on in the opera, and it's a big, big, big set piece. It's a huge aria, famously difficult, um, and actually she's she's not had a lot of time to 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 work herself up into this. Um, in in fact, dramatically, it would make I think, more sense. It was easier to get the, a longer journey and have that aria in the second act. But that's Pietà now. So it actually sort of almost comes out of nothing, um, which I think works very well, actually, in in, in, in this production. Phelim's um, made that work. Um, but they are two monsters, Comescolio and, and, and Pietà, which is the opposite extreme, which is the stillest point in the whole opera. Almost... Time slows down to to nothing at the beginning of that aria. Um, so she, Fiordeligi, in a sense, encompasses the extremes, the most extreme
0: journey. The thing, the thing journey. That, that always amazes me. Um, it's it's so obvious. It's scarcely worth perhaps seeing, but it, it does amaze me. And I felt this so strongly watching the dress rehearsal here, was Mozart's ability to change the mood literally um, on a sixpence. You can turn. I mean, if you think about the the trio suave venti, um, il, suave serio vento, um, it's extraordinary how we move from 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 one feeling to something that is so lyrical and so moving and touching. Literally, almost with half a breath in a
1: way. Yeah. It? Also, at the same time, you'll find that he has sometimes set something up in advance, even though if it feels like a, a very subito, sudden change. Actually, around there, that sequence of numbers, of course, you have the, the chorus, Bella Vita, which is you know a military number. But before Suave, before that beautiful trio, you have the letter-writing quintet. And in a sense, that that is slowing slowing us down in preparation for suave. In fact, the tempi, are, that suave should be a little faster than, than, than scrivermi, scrivermi, the letter-writing quintet. But I think he, 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 he sees often a, a group of numbers as a, as a shape, as an arc. Um, so it works both ways.
0: You, you've, you've alluded to the problem of the second part. There is there is traditionally much more work, in a sense, to keep the whole thing together to be done after the interval than before, isn't there?
1: Yeah. Well, actually, I'll tell you, what, one of the biggest differences between Cosi and the other De Ponte operas is, it's, is that Cosi is full of pauses. They're all over the place. And, and um, that, as a conductor pauses are the most difficult thing because it means that you have to get everyone going again after a pause and that happens all the time throughout the show um, and it's obviously a del- deliberate thing and the second act finale is, f- is full of them um, so again it's, 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 it's it doesn't sound stop start well I hope it doesn't sound stop start because the pauses are actually so integrated dramatically, in it, it, musically and theatrically. Um, but it does create its unique sense of movement. Um, and the second act is a, is, a, is a rather odd shape. It opens with a lot of recitative and you get the middle chunk of the arias, which which again are seen as a as an arc, um, then another fair fair sized chunk of recit, and then the, and then the finale, which as I said before is is full of reminiscence from Act One, um, and full of these pauses. So it's a very difficult shape to actually keep in one's mind and body. Um,
0: I wondered <clears throat> whether you thought setting Cozy in the 1950s um, in a resort that resembles in part Coney Island, perhaps as Philly McDermott and Tom Pye's designer have done, does at last liberate this opera from sometimes what we think of as the prettiness of the 18th century?
1: Yeah, well, I think it does because actually the, the, you have to be... Uh, uh, at a certain level, you have to believe that what happens can happen to these people. It can't just be all a joke, because actually the music goes too deep for that. Um, so in a sense this setting allows that to be possible because in a sense anything's possible <laughs> in a in a fun fair. And it's and it's not it's a fun fair which, which which allows for a darker side if you look closely at these beautiful sets of Tom Pies. Really stunningly beautiful you look closely they're a little bit shabby and that's deliberate you know it's not not everything is absolutely glistening and perfect um i remember Phelim saying early on in the process that it's it's a fun s seen slightly through david lynch's eyes you know
0: that, and you do feel the motel where the where the two sisters yeah. are saying has seen a good many people through its beds oh yeah
1: absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. yeah and Alfonso, many
0: times, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> and Despina, but we and should Despina, leave that. Yes. Uh, Ron, I know that you've got a date at 5.30 with the orchestra, um, but you are going to stay and play for us, I think. Be, yep, but, yep. but thank you in the meantime very much indeed. My pleasure, my pleasure. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we're, we're joined now by the Medicine soprano Anna Huntley, who, as I said, is covering the role of Dora Bella uh, in this new production. Um, would you please welcome Anna Huntley? Before before you begin, Anna, tell us what you and Ryan are going to perform for us. you very much indeed. Um, is Dorabella the naughty of the two sisters?
2: I'd like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's definitely the flighty one of the two and um, she's very high spirited um, and she becomes the naughty of the two. And do you
0: think she's older or younger than Fjordeligi?
2: Personally I think she's younger. Um, you probably could argue it either way. Um, the reasons I think she's younger is that the she tends to look to Fiordiligi for her advice and tends to follow her lead more often throughout the opera than the other way around. A lot of the time, the rest, it's she says, what should we do, sister? Or she copies her, often trying to uh, trump her in the sense that um Ligi says, I'm fainting, and she says, I'm dying. You know, it's always one one up on her. Um, and Fiordiligi is the more serious, which for me, tends to imply that she's the one who's had to look after the other one and is usually the one that's in charge.
0: Did, did, as you've been thinking into this role, did you ask us where on earth these two have come from? What happened to their parents, for example? What kind of life have they had before? Did they spend their time going round to Coney Island looking for men?
2: Um, I don't think the last one yet. Maybe in the future. Um, but, yeah, of course. Um, it, it depends obviously where you're setting it and in what period. Um, in the in the sort of traditional traditional sense if you um there seem to be ladies of leisure um and quite affluent and so they're left to on their own devices quite a lot in that way. I'm not sure in this in this setting. Um but this they've come to the Coney Island with their boyfriends, that is the the, the setup here. Um relatively new relationship, I guess, although they are they are travelling together, they're not staying in the same rooms. Um, but, yes, that's the sort of set-up here. And
0: so, what, they're kind of on holiday?
2: Yes, for the weekend. Okay. They come for a weekend away.
0: Right. So, it's a kind of trial, seeing how things go. Yes. Right.
2: But I still think it's quite early in the relationship. Right. So, I don't know, yeah.
0: Okay, so, so, so they have separate rooms yes. in the production. Yes, yes. When the Albanians, who are not really Albanians, yep. but are um, kind of swarthy Mexicans, mm-hmm. arrive, um, do we suppose that, um, that, well, the more is going to happen, do you think?
2: Initially or later on?
0: Well, I mean, they get married, but do, do we suppose that, in a way, that, that they've sort of uh, things have progressed sexually rather faster than maybe?
2: It's implied. Uh, that there's certainly something more has happened with these new gentlemen than the old ones. Defi- definitely, that's why I think it's such a revelation.
0: About to, 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 to herself. I mean, Dora discovers something about yes. herself. Yes. Yes. And and do you think she loves Ferrand?
2: I think she believes she does at the beginning. Um, I believe that's her understanding of love. I think it's very new. I think she's very young. I think that's her... Under- it's, it's like any first relationship, first love. You think that's it. And then then you discover maybe it's not.
0: Hmm. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll, we'll draw a veil there with that thought. <laughs> um, but, uh, the puzzle for me always has been, and I find this fascinating, which is one of the reasons I keep seeing this, author, is how on earth is it that Despina... Manages to move from the naughty maid who tastes the chocolate at the beginning mm-hmm. and who's just deliberately excluded and who eventually agrees to work with Don Alfonso to, in fact, the agent that, on which the whole of the, the plot turns. How does she manage to become this immensely persuasive figure with Dorabella and Fiordiligi?
2: Well, she has, she has that um, advantage of being the confidant. And if you are, when you are a young girl, you, you do listen to other girls, and especially the slightly older, which perhaps, certainly she's certainly more worldly-wise. So you would automatically listen to them. And then if they start saying something new to you, you do start questioning your own understanding of things. Um, so I think that's the first thing. And they trust her. Um, they have, at this stage, they have no reason not to trust her.
0: Tell me, for singing. I mean, what what does Dorabella require vocally from you? We've just heard you sing uh, very ferociously, yeah. and what does it actually require from the singer?
2: Um, it's it is usually cast as a mezzo-soprano, as you said. It, I mean, you could cast it as a, a soprano because the difficulty with this role really is is singing in the passaggio, which is the um, the break um, point um, in the registers that we have. We have a uh, I don't know how much you know, but I have chest, the lower register, the middle register and the and the head register, the high register. And this one sits between the middle and the high a lot, and you have a lot of the um, strongest singing happens there, and that's why that has to be really secure, and that's probably the hardest bit of this role. Um, but you, I think you also need to... you need It's a very much an ensemble opera, so you need to have that awareness of uh, when you need to be blending with other people, whether you need to come forward. Um, and, and I think it does need a, a rich... Obviously, I'm going to say this, but I think it does need a mezzo because I do think it needs a, a richer sound to, to balance off um, Fiordaligia and Despina and to match when she gets with Guglielmo later to match really well with his voice, the baritone voice
0: You you, you say it sits in the, in the passage between the, the top and the, the middle of the mm-hmm. voice in a way I wonder if that isn't precisely what Dorabella is all about you know this this tension between head mm. what she ought to do yeah, and heart which is what she's going to do in yeah. a very, where it sits is precisely an illustration yeah. of her dilemma. it's that
2: pull. Yeah, yeah. and it's not—it's not—it's not, it's not really meant to sound. In, yes, of course, it could be comfortable, but not in. It, that is the pull of. You know, I think you're not supposed to sound so easy, because the because the, the I like said, the dilemma's not easy. Mm.
0: Anna, thank you very much. Thank
2: indeed. you.
0: Ladies, uh, ladies and gentlemen, our last guest is, is, is one of those people who, if you ever want to know anything whatsoever, arcane, specialist, wise, sensible about the theatre, you turn to. It is Sarah Lenton. Will you please welcome Sarah Lenton? Sarah, a very obvious question to begin with. On the, the title page of the score, as mm. published, this is called uh, Drama Giacoso.
3: Oh, yes. What oh. does that mean? Um. Well, um, a, a comic opera, ultimately. But Don Giovanni's called exactly the same thing. Uh, so obviously we're not going to a, a tragic and a lyric piece uh, in that way. Um, if you actually start looking at the libretto, you see a farce. Six people, utterly isolated, the rest of the world doesn't exist... Even when the chorus turn up, they're only extras of Don Giovanni. These, these girls are mysteriously alone in the world, just a comic maid. And nothing but, especially in Act One, nothing but partial situations surround. I mean, really, if two Albanians came into your sitting room and committed suicide, you know, would you sit around singing sestets with them? you don't, you wouldn't, would you?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that you should be so lucky as to have two Albanians in your
3: sitting room. Happens all the time. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, one of the things that's really interesting about, about the title is it's the only title, I think, that English National Opera does not try to translate yes. into anything else. Cowards, uh,
3: yes.
0: <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> What on earth do we think it really means? I mean, well, Cosi
3: sip- Fan Tutte, the point is the Tutte, T-U-T-T-E. It can only be women. So it's everybody behaves like that, but it's all women are like that. I once saw a cozy Fan Tutte here where they had graffiti on, up on the back wall and someone had crossed out the E and put an I in which meant everybody behaves like this. Uh, So it's it's immediately setting up one of the most classic jibes of European culture, if not world culture, that you can't trust women. What about the opera's second title, Ah. A School for Lovers? Yes, well, there you get into a very interesting area. Donald Alfonso is described as a philosopher. And in 18th century parlance, that's a natural philosopher, probably, what we might call a scientist. Uh, but they, you could be a polymath, of course, still in the 18th century, so you could dabble with, you know, like Gilbert White, looking at birds and stuff like that, and mucking around with pressure in water and stuff like that. And there's this sense that he's got a slightly scientific interest in people, and the partial atmosphere gives you that, because people are almost puppets. And the school for lovers could be him just being the librettist, Dalponti, being cynical and saying, it's about time these guys knew the truth about women. But there's also this slight sense he's manipulating them, doing an experiment with them, apparently showing them a life lesson, but actually himself um, using the puppets of the farce. And of course the glory of the opera is that Mozart in no way treats his people as puppets. So there's a sort of pull between the two titles and I think between the librettist and the composer as well.
0: Interesting now, because it does also remind us that this is an opera written at the end of the Enlightenment. and 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 in a sense, the idea within the Enlightenment that somehow, uh, while nature was there, um, uh, nurture could indeed fundamentally change people, that that you could actually direct people.
3: The Enlightenment actually believed that people were naturally good and and beautiful, and and if if, if you could only get away the trammels of artificial society and, of course, the the terrible drag of, of religious belief and things like that... Their loveliness would come become apparent, their rationality would become apparent, you could just release people. And it makes this show very odd. It's not an enlightenment show at all. Uh, Darponte Ponte seems to think you no know, women have this fixed character, and it's not very pleasant. And the sooner people know about it, the better. Within the show, Despina says to the girls, well, actually, all men are unfaithful too. And so this is rather depressing um, attitude to human beings throughout the piece. And when it was put on, it had a moderate success. And I, uh, as Christopher said, it, it came off because of, of the death of the emperor. But actually, if you read the reviews, people saying, actually, it's a rather trifling plot. It's a rather disagreeable plot. So even in the 18th century, people reacted against it because it was against the zeitgeist of the Enlightenment. And two of Mozart's fans from England, Clarkson and one of the novella girls, went to talk to Mrs. Mozart long after his death And they said, do you you think his operas will survive into the 19th century? And she said, oh, yes, I think so, except cosy. Terrible plot, isn't it? Terrible plot. So already there was an unease about it. And then, as I think we've talked about, Christopher, in the 19th century, it was dismissed completely. People couldn't bear it.
0: Well, Mozart's first biographer um, complains that he wasted his heavenly sweet melodies on such a miserable and clumsy text. Yeah, there you go. And and he's on Mozart's
3: side. (laughs) Um, I think uh, the 19th century were distressed that the girls didn't come through the test, and they distressed at a show that was all about setting up infidelity. Uh, The 20th century,
0: do you think in a sense that what the 19th century really disliked was the fact it told the truth about how badly men behave towards women?
3: It wouldn't have liked the premises of the opera at all and it wouldn't have liked the cynicism of the manipulation of the women. But I think that when you read a 19th century critics, it's, it's, it's insulting to women. Hmm. They should have come through. Uh, later ideas was, yes, but you don't test anyone. Hmm. Um, so we object to the test... But the 19th century objected to the fact that the women didn't, didn't pull it off. Also, of course, it's undermining the whole idea of romantic love. And uh, again, you get back to this natural philosopher idea of uh, looking at people in the laboratory. Is such a thing as romantic love possible? What, 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 what does faithfulness in love mean? Um, this is just a, a social construct to make sure marriages work. And
0: the 20th and 21st century, what have we found in it that, well, that we've liked that our predecessors didn't?
3: It's very awkward for us in the 20th century. There's, uh, uh, I know we're talking 21st century, but I'm looking, thinking back to a, a classic Royal Opera House production which set this con- as a contemporary show with Armani designs and all the rest of it. And the girls were drinking Chardonnay, first time I'd ever seen white wine, because you always drink red wine on stage, otherwise you don't know it's wine. You know? So they're drinking Chardonnay on stage. And they were obviously fashion designers and they worked in magazines and stuff. So they were about 28, 30. They were far too old for this sort of plot to be played on them. And given uh I can say this as carefully as I can, the average age of the opera singer that's going to turn up on a stage, you're not going to believe they're 16, which is what the plot puts them down as. They're not teenagers. And if there's anything we take seriously in the 20th and early 21st century, is relationships. You don't muck around with relationships. I'm sure you've all read Dear Deirdre in the Daily Express. <laughs> She's always telling us, don't, don't play around with relationships. And so the moment you start doing a plot that's about that, and it goes wrong, by the end of the show, the girls are in no way in a farce anymore. They're not in a comic opera. You lied to that extent. You disguised yourself that way. You, you pulled me on that far. How are they going to ask for forgiveness? The men need forgiving. And at the end of most of the modern productions of this I've ever seen, everybody's traumatised at the end. Nobody knows what to do, and they all blunder off in different directions. And the, the nicest sort of conclusion anybody ever comes to, it appears in modern productions, is, well, that's what human beings do. We are horrible to each other. What are we going to do now? Kill each other? We're not in the Verdi opera. Let's try and forgive each other.
0: But but you, it's very very <laughs> a picture you painted, and, 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 and I'm happy to say that at odds with what we're going to see this evening. Oh, good. Uh, but, but what it does occur to me is, is in a way that that that, that in, a, in a world of shifting moralities, which is really what we're saying, mm. um, the people who have the moral high ground at the end are indeed Fiordiligi and Dorabella.
3: I completely agree with you. I mean, that's, I mean, a, I, that's I, a felt I, thing, isn't it? It's not a cerebral thing. Well, I wonder if it isn't Cerebral too. Ooh. in, in
0: that, that, faced with what they've been through, mm. they have um, survived. They ha- make an act of generous forgiveness to the, mm. their, their torturers. They make, you know, the response that we have come to expect to those who are unkind to us. They forgive them.
3: Isn't that a musical thing, though? It's not really in the libretto, is it? You see, when... But the music is all. Is oh, oh, yes, of course. I mean, as you're listening to the music, um, however much... Um, Don Alfonso is is, is manipulating, and however cynical Despina wishes to be, and all that. Mozart describes love. Mozart, I mean, you listen to the first duet, the serenade, the final trio, uh, that amazing farewell as, as the boys go off. Here you hear real emotion, and Mozart's telling you what it feels like to be in love. And once you know what it feels like to be in love, then you're with the people who are feeling that at the end. And they are the ones that have got the emotional truth centering around them. They're the ones whose destiny you're interested in. And the men have to cope with that. Ferrando seems to be part of that trio. And and there's the thing. How can you write fake emotion? You can't. You can put a disguise on on stage, that's easy. A a mustache, a tattoo, a hat, you know. We all accept it's a disguise and, and we go along with it. But fake emotion on stage is almost impossible to produce. And it's noticeable, especially in that wonderful farewell where the two girls and Don Alfonso, they're saying goodbye to the boys, and the girls have got heartfelt emotion as as they despair as the boys clear off, and Alfonso joins them. Now, doubtless, he's got mental reservations about this. Doubtless, he's laughing up his sleeve. In fact, he even has a sort of um, little line that suggests that, but when he's singing with the girls, he has to be as sincere as them. And Mozart cannot give you fake emotion. And Ferrando, as he sings more and more, as they, because they push for de Ligi. she passes the test. Oh, well, let's do it again. Dolan Fonso almost wants to destroy her. Ferrando pulls out all his stops. And then you think, has Ferrando... What emotion is Ferrando feeling here? Surely that's real emotion too.
0: The, the woman who's most reduced in this opera seems to me to be Despina, mm. um, who, is, who is cheated at every, almost every level, don't you think?
3: Very, very strange part. When uh, she comes on um, stealing chocolate, as, as you've heard. Uh, oh, here we go. Um, the the sabrette, the comic maid. Um, and the one, therefore, who'll be knowing, which she thinks she is, and be in control of the plot and, and so on and so forth. And yet she's deceived and it completely bucks our expectations. It it shows what an uncomfortable show this is, and I think it's one of the reasons it wasn't popular. Uh, Not just the the basic plot, but you never knew what a character was going to do, and and a a comic maid who can be deceived and actually distressed at the end would have have made the audience feel, well, what was that about? That's a strange part.
0: But it makes me wonder if the opera isn't only about gender and about human feelings, but also about class too. Mm. This production perhaps makes that more clearly, but it, it seems to me that Despina, as the maid, moves from being the soubrette part, as you mm-hmm. say, to being someone who is who is has real feelings of her own, and mm. um, um, who's played. A number of parts in this. She's been Doctor Mesmer, the magician. She's been the lawyer, the notary, and produced wonderful comic voices. But in the end, you know, she is the servant, and she—no she, one should care about her.
3: She's—well, she's definitely there to, to, to keep the plot going. Yes, yes, I agree with that. And Alfonso really couldn't—I mean, actually, her relationship with Alfonso is money. Hmm. I mean, I mean, I mean she, she's slightly complicit in all this. She, she takes it from—she she agrees to deceive her mistresses, and she takes the money. So. There's a moment where you, you, you think, okay, so she's the necessary extra person in the plot. I wonder how much one would care about her. It would depend on the singer, of course.
0: Well, one other argument is that she's. Donna Fozzo calls her Despinetta. Yes. Uh, and, and there is a, a, a suggestion that the two of them have had some kind of perhaps liaison, or you can imagine this. And, and they two can still be together, even though they're not together. If Isn't you see that what the I mean?
3: normal sort of sexual slang done by a, a sort of a gentleman mucking around with a serving maid because he says, I want you or something. She says, oh, well, I, I don't need you. I and mean, she goes quite camp on him, doesn't she? Yeah. It's sort of Frankie Howard. Remark, well, you're know, a bit old, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, and it's just, it's just dismissed, isn't it? But I, it, it would completely depend on the director and the singer yeah. how, you, how you wanted to play that. Uh,
0: a last question. From another perspective, which is really the perspective in part we're going to see tonight, or at least superficially, um, can we simply see that, that, that this opera is about the consequences of plunging into a reckless holiday romance?
3: It's certainly about very young people. Uh, the young men are fools to take on the wager. Uh, the young women have no real experience of people at all, and that's how the wager works. So it's certainly about very young people. In its 18th-century context, it would have had slightly serious implications insofar as romances ended up with you getting married. Um, so that's always in the wings, and you will notice at the end, uh, Don Alfonso says, well, yeah, OK, they're, they're unfaithful. Do you intend to be celibate for the rest of your life? No. Well, then, they're all like that. Might as well marry them. But, but it, it's, it's a sort of a response that we're, we're not perhaps so geared to nowadays. Um, but I think it's about youth, yeah.
0: Sarah, thank you very much indeed. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, an opportunity if you would like to ask questions of either uh, our guests, Anna or, or Sarah. Um, Put your hand up, catch my eye. There is the roving microphone about to rove, if you'd like to ask. Yes, the gentleman there. As I recall the um, sort of penultimate scene, um, the, the, the two the, the girls actually ask their lovers forgiveness. Yes, they do. And, um, uh, and offer their very lives, I think. Uh, and, and that puzzled me. Uh, and I wondered if there's any explanation for that. And, and I also wondered whether one is not expected to take the plot seriously at all. And, and is, is there a mocking going on of, these, of, of this kind of intrigue? Um, and is some genre being, being
3: mocked here? Thank you. Um, I certainly feel that I've seen far too many cosies that have taken it far too seriously. Um, the, you know, the, 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 the mock Albanians, it, it's absurd. And over and over again the farce keeps coming back. It does build up to this crescendo of seriousness as far as Fiori is concerned. The lines the girls say at the end are absolutely standard end of opera lines and an extravagant, oh kill me, which I think is all it is, um, is would be part of that genre Um, And it is absolutely true, as far as the libretto is concerned, they ask for forgiveness. They do not say, what the hell do you think you're doing? You know, let's thrash this out. That would be a totally modern response. Uh, The music by now, however, has indicated that one of the men at least is blustering. Uh, The other one is severely compromised. And the girls are emotionally secure. And that is the fascination of this work. It's this mismatch between lib- libretto and music. So although the libretto, as you correctly think, is uh, lighter, slighter in a way, um, what, what brings us to this show is, is the music. Salieri was given this libretto and he immediately dismissed it. Absolute rubbish, he said, put it away.
0: He did have a little try. Oh, yes. But gave up, <laughs> gave up, exactly. gave up. Yes. No finish to the man. Uh, another question for anybody? Do we have another question? We're going to be very English and sit on our hands. Can I just... Start then? Why don't I ask... Does it really have the same question? What do you feel about the end? There's,
2: uh, there's a question. Um, I really think that you could... There are several different ways of doing this, um, and that's why I think, actually, dis- despite all its problems in in what you've just outlined, is why it's worth, apart from the music, obviously, but why it's worth to keep exploring this opera. Um, I've I've done it different ways, where you, whether you can either end up with the right, the, the original partner, whether you go back to the, go to the different partner, or whether you have nobody, um, and I. Obviously, I'm coming up from a, from a modern times, so obviously I find it difficult to, to in that response where the girls um, are asking for the forgiveness. It, but I guess it's also an immediate response. It's in that moment you're like, oh, "Sorry, sorry," and that that is yeah. that could happen. And then you could sit sit back and think, "Hang on," yeah. afterwards. Um, I think that is a natural response, um, and possibly just wanting to just kind of smooth it over for the time being, because it's got very heightened in that Act 2 finale. Um, so I, I, it, you really could... So I'm not really answering your question, because you really could interpret this in so many different ways. Um, personally, I don't think you can go back to the original partners.
3: Sam West, who did the last production here, said, in his opinion, Ferrando and Fiordiligi hooked up went back to Ferrara and ran up bills. Um, Dorabella and Despina went round Europe and had a marvelous time. They just did a tour, yeah. and Gallmo and Alfonso uh, went back to his Alfonso's club and sat around the bar, making very nasty remarks about women. I, like
2: that, that, I like the
1: version.
0: <laughs> Well, I think we know where we'd like to be with Dora no. Bella on yeah. tour. Yeah. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you all very much for being here this evening. Uh, for being a splendid audience. Um, uh, can I just remind you that if you would like before the performance to drink, I think the bar that is open is. I'm getting. Dress circle bar is open before the evening's performance, and all that remains for me is to thank um, all three of our guests: Ryan Wigglesworth, who's gone off to do his duty, so to speak; uh, Anna Huntley, uh, and Sarah Ledton for being with us tonight. Thank you all very much indeed. Thank you.